Oh, Wade, your son just put a small rock in his mouth and now he's running away. Wow, he waited a long time today. It's lunch already. Welcome to today's process. Tools, not power. Stand up, push forward, let's light the lantern. How does the husband entrepreneur escape the understory while still having a marriage that not just survives, but thrives in an environment where modern business is under attack? The fog of the understory covers everything, and we are surrounded by monsters and bandits. My name is Wade Skalski, the understory lawyer, and we will face them together as we build the classic American business. Admission to the understory is free, but understanding always has a price. Let's light the lantern. What is up, husband entrepreneurs? Those of you who are in the understory against your will and those of you who are in the understory on purpose, Wade Skalski here, the understory lawyer. So I'm pretty fired up to talk to you today. Uh, I got a late start today just because I just decided like sleeping in it because I did any shenanigans last night. There were no shenanigans, um, but basically uh, is sometimes I just get kind of worn out. So I was like, I'm going to sleep in today till six. So I slept in today till six and uh, it was glorious. So, all right, we're going to talk about my son, Luke, for a little bit. And Luke, his nickname is also Luke the Destroyer. Uh, he is a character, this little one. He's very rambunctious. So he's a boy. So he's rambunctious. He's like a classically rambunctious boy. And uh, he also, though, is he has this thing about not he has like this stubborn freedom streak. Right. So he gets like super focused on things that he wants. And then he's like a dog with a bone. And then he also has like this, this stubborn streak, but then he has this little mischievous streak too. So we're going to talk about the mischievous streak today. So, you know, when he was little, you know, and you're always worried about, you're always worried about with your kids, like choking hazards. Yes. So at least I was, maybe you're not, I mean, I see, I see parents give their kids, give their kids like these, these choking hazards all the time when they're like babies and stuff. And I'm like, looking at them, I'm like, very well. I mean, it's not my kid. And, uh, I've only saved two, not one, but two kids from drowning this year in the pool. So I'm a little more vigilant than most than most parents. My wife says that I officially get accredited with two rescues this summer. So apparently I have to buy all the other lifeguards uh, a pack of beer. I don't know, something like that. But any event. Um, <laughs> so but so like we're like really super pretty vigilant with Luke or with Maddie. But then especially with Luke, because he had this thing where he would just he would just put everything in his mouth like forever. Like not even when he was, you know, babies do that. Yes. But even he would just he would just chew on things and he's just very physical. Right. And the thing is, is that my my theory on parenting is, is that you save your children uh, from serious death or injury of like you count it on your hand a few times. Okay. Like, I don't know for how long until what age that, that, that time frame is, but you definitely, there are times where you save your kids from serious death and injury. You just, you as a parent, if you have kids, you know, this to be true, you know, the times when it happened and you don't forget them. Cause you're like, Oh, that could have been bad, but it's not very many times. I, I, I think, you know, and this is not, this is not parenting advice, you know, to, to, to ease up on it. It's actually kind of the opposite. Like you never know when they're going to get themselves into some, some situation where they could seriously hurt or injure themselves. And so you kind of have to be vigilant all the time. And then it's pretty obvious when those, when those things are happening or are about to happen, if you're paying attention. And so then it's easy or easier to kind of nip those things in the bud before they happen. And that's the whole idea of, you know, you, you, you are, 
you know, you, you, that's how you parent. Okay. So, and some parents basically what they do is, is so take Luke, for instance, is that he, he got to this thing where he knew that he wasn't supposed to put choking hazards in his mouth. And then it became a game to him so much so that we would be in the, we would be in the yard. Okay. We'd be sitting there in the yard and, and then he would pick up rocks, put them in his mouth and stare at you until you recognize what he did. And then you would go Luke. And then the moment you acknowledged him, he would start laughing maniacally, turn away from you and run away with these choking hazards in his mouth, laughing hysterically. So I don't know. I don't know if you know this, but the combination of running choking hazard and breathing in and out very fast as you're laughing increases the chance of your child choking on something. So. In the beginning of this whole shit, this was a shenanigans in the beginning of all this. Like I would like chase after him and I would like try to grab him and and, um, you know, whatever. And it would be this big to do and it'd be a power play. Right. Because he wouldn't he wouldn't respond to verbal commands. So I'd have to go get him and then like take the take the you know, have him spit it out. And then if he wouldn't spit it out, I have to go get it because it's like rocks are bad for your teeth, too. Like, don't get me started on that on, on the teeth. And um so, so like, so that, that's how I sort of did that plan in the beginning, but then it became this power play, right? Where it was like, I had to, exer- I had to use power, my power, my physical power over him to uh, be able to engage it. Right. And all that did was make him rebel more, even as like a two year old to two, you know, now he's three, but this is more when he was younger. Right. And uh, the reason why it doesn't happen now is he sort of grew out of it, but he, the, one of the steps for him to grow out of it was the strategy that we employed after this. So uh, I was like, this isn't working because this is becoming a thing and he's, he's stubborn and this is always going to be a thing with him. So I have to take the energy. I have to take the energy out of this. Now I didn't, I didn't know that I was doing this fully consciously. Okay. So I can't claim to be like super parent. A lot of things you kind of, as a parent, I feel like you discover on accident. So the reason why like the second kid, you're a little more chill with the second kid than the first kid is because you've done everything with the first kid. And then you discover what works and what doesn't work and what's really a threat and what's not really a threat for the second kid. Cause you don't know any of that. No one tells you that there's no, first of all, there's no book. And even if there was a book, the book would be like 58 volumes long. And there are just too, there are just too many things that you would have to know because you have to know everything because you have to know every minute of every day about what your child does and how they would interact with the, the, the environment and how you can set up the environment, like for everything. And because they're, you know, they're, they're not a blank slate, but they're, they're a blank slate of experience. They don't, they don't have any experience. And so, and neither do you with, you know, a totally reckless child who is, is completely overwhelmed by its environment and doesn't have the nervous system to absorb everything. So, so this is why you discover to keep your kids fed as much as humanly possible, uh, you know, within increments or else they melt down. Like they just, their system can't handle it. Like stuff like that. Right. Like, you know, you got to get them to bed. Like the, you pay, you pay for it every single time they don't go to bed on time. You just pay for it in some way. You know that, but you'd never discover that. Even if someone was to tell you that you'd be like, okay, yeah, whatever. And you have to experience it. So, so this thing that I discovered with Luke and kind of the strategy that we adopted was, was on kind of an accident, but your subconscious also kind of knows if you go by principles. And so I was like, well, all right, power play is not working. I don't want to be a tyrant in my own house, right? I want my kids to kind of listen to me without the, the implied threat of being upset or a timeout or whatever. So I thought about it and I, what I did was like, well, let's solve the problem. 
the best that we can. Okay. It's not, you know, the, the optimal solution would be to convince him not to put rocks in his mouth and run and laugh. That would be optimal, but he's not going to do that right now. So let's solve the problem. What's the problem? Well, I'm afraid of him choking. So I went out and I bought what's called a de-choker, which is a thing, which is like, basically it's a tube that has a mouthpiece on the end of it. And it has a plunger that, you know, creates a vet, the mouthpiece creates a vacuum and you can suck anything out of there, right? It's just like extremely powerful forces with this thing. And so it was like $67 or it was like, maybe it was $80. I don't know, but it's the best $80 I ever spent because what happened was then I just had this de-choker in the house and I just ignored him. Right. And I was like, I can't chase after him every single time that he does this. If I do that, I'm going to be doing this at the end of time. And I took all the energy out of the situation. I ignored him. And I was like, that's cool. He would be like, he would look at me and be like, that's cool, bud. Try not to put rocks in your mouth. And I do like minimal parenting, like a minimal suggestion. And then I would just go back to whatever it is that I was doing. And guess what? Because there was no more energy given to it because there was no tyrannical power that was being exerted over me. I made the right or he made the right choice over time. See, human beings, well, I guess it's on a scale, right? Like if anything that I've, if anything I've learned that this is anything I've learned recently is that this is on a scale. Human beings value their freedom. Like they just value their freedom. Now it's on a scale. Some of them value it as like a hype, like an a priori kind of principle for themselves and other people's kind of pay lip service to it for themselves. Right. And they don't really care about it, but, but most human beings, I think, I think most human beings in their core care about it. So my son would be like on a, you know, I will, I will not respect your authority. Like he has a high, high value of freedom as a kid. And I don't want to drum that out of him. So, so like, look, it's like, it's, it's, it's a suggestion. It's like, this is good for you. And then I just took the energy out of it. It's like, well, dad's not messing with my freedom anymore. And I don't really like the taste of rocks in my mouth. This is kind of gross. And so he just naturally over time stopped doing it. And the reason was, is because I deployed the tools, not the power. And this is one of the reasons for the classic American business is it gives you tools to deal with whatever the environment is throwing at you. Right. If you're in a job right now, you, you are at the sort of the whim of the powers that be in that job of however they want to deal with whatever's coming and whatever's happening. So for example, let's say that you had a bug problem in your office, just like a lot of flies flying around, right? Or mosquitoes. You had a mosquito problem in your office, all these little tiny little mosquitoes flying around your office. And so, uh, there, everyone in the office was, or the powers that be were getting kind of tired about these mosquitoes. And they said, well, we're going to, you know, we're going to impose, we're going to have to come up with a mosquito solution and everyone has to wear a mosquito repellent. You know, I'm like, you don't like mosquito repellent. It, it irritates your delicate skin, right? Well, that, that's your, you have to take the mosquito repellent or you've got to, you got to, you don't have a job. You know, you're like, wait, wait, I want to use this fly swatter. And I want to swat these things. It's like, they don't care. They don't care about your solution. They care about their solution. And that's, that's the, that's the, the covenant that you made with them when you went to work there. Right. You said, all right, I'll, I'll work for you. And you pay me a wage and then uh, I'll do these things. And they're like, okay, and there's an agreement. And so, um, but unfortunately they hold, they hold the authority for these agreements and they can decide to terminate these agreements and change them to whatever they want. And then it's your, it's your decision then if you want to stay there and comply or move with your feet and go get a different job that has a different set of circumstances and a different location or, um, you, you have your own business where you are the person that's in charge and you decide how you think that these things should be handled. 
And you may be you may be totally wrong. Your solutions to the bug problem may not work. They may be totally wrong. You may be getting eaten alive by these mosquitoes. But it doesn't it 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 just depends on the type of person, right? And the entrepreneur values freedom highly, and so they look for tools for solutions versus power, right? I didn't want to exert power over my child, if, you know, for in terms of employees. I've never wanted to, whenever I've had someone work for me or anything like that, I've never wanted to exert power over them. I want it to be a collaboration and a negotiation. And sometimes that gets you into trouble because people will take advantage of that um, and abuse it just like people can abuse power. But the thing is, is like the, the, at least you have options. If you're on the fence right now, let's say that you're in a nine to five or maybe like your business is, is on hiatus because of the lockdowns or or you're working from home or whatever. And you're sitting there and you're asking yourself, well, self, self do I want to build a the classic American business so that I have tools to deal with whatever is going to come? And I'm the one that's in charge to decide about how I'm going to deal with whatever Whatever the environment throws, it doesn't matter if it's a bug problem. It doesn't matter if it's how to get clients. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. There's going to be a whole host of problems that the business is going to need to solve. And do you want, do you want your current boss to be in charge of that? Or do you want to be in charge of it? And that's up to you. It's a personal choice. I, I'm, I, I, I will always say it. I don't believe everyone should be an entrepreneur. I, I, I am a, a reluctant entrepreneur. I was forced to be one because I, 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 like my son, do not want people to tell me what to do. I don't respect the abuses of authority. And so whenever I was in a job or a business and there was a political game or people wanted to put my skills on the shelf or or um, it was the my way or the highway thing, I accepted it because that's what I agreed to. But I always knew I was like, I have to find a place that's a collaboration, not a negotiation. And if people are telling you what to do, then you're in a negotiating situation. If people are asking you, hey, what do you think we should do? Let's come to a solution together. What do you think would be the best way to do your job? What do you think would be the best way for the company to move forward? And then we as a company will decide, understanding that there must be a head. There must be someone in charge. There must be someone that has a vision. But that person must at least take input. And you must feel as if that input is is being considered. Because the moment that there's just lip service to your input and they're just and and they're just like, just you're going to do what I tell you to do because I'm paying you, then that's that's authority. That's power. It's not that that's not the tools. It's not developing tools. So I want you to think about that. Look, here's a deal on Monday. What's today? Thursday on Sunday or Monday, probably Monday. uh, The book that I have on Amazon, Creative Clearing, The Husband Entrepreneur's Guide to Escape the Nine to Five. Is I'm changing the price to $150. It's going to be a high ticket book. Right now it's on there for 12 on August 6th. So if you're on the fence and you're thinking, you're thinking about it, that you want to buy that book, go buy it. Wade Skalski, S-K-A-L-S-K-Y, first name Wade, W-A-D-E is the author. Go buy it. It's, it's never going back down to $12 ever. I was, I had a whole, I was in the high IQ elite, high elite marketing, um, or high IQ elite level marketing world for a while. And I was like, I'm going to do a, a free plus shipping book. And I was like, no, 
I'm not doing that. I don't want to have to create a bunch of ancillary products to create offers around things. I'm just going to create so much value and the relationship with my people that I'm like, here it is. This is it is a book. You can buy the book. There's no fancy schmancy things that are around it. I understand that that is a very, that quote, an offer is a very valuable, you know, an offer stack is a very valuable thing, but that is a, that is a method and a strategy that is used for cold traffic and for the masses. I'm not marketing to the masses because there aren't very many people out there like me, but there are enough of them that we can all get together and we can all create our own businesses so that we have the ability to solve problems with a classic American business and that we don't have to worry about other people telling us what to do. And if the environment changes and we need to make a move, we can make a move. We are free and in charge of our own life as much as possible. So what I want you to do is take out your Ranger Field Journal. If you don't have a Ranger Field Journal, take out a regular journal. If you don't have a regular journal, go get one because you're going to need one from time to time. But for right now, what I want you to do is I want you to take out your Unicorn Trapper Keeper from the fifth grade and ask yourself this question. Do I want to be involved in the game of power? Or do I want to be involved in the game of tools and solutions? And just remember, there is no end if you stay on the path of understanding. All right, husband entrepreneurs, I know you want to escape the current understory that you're trapped in. I get it. I've been there. But in order to do that, you're going to need a creative clearing, a place to stand where you can make decisions in confidence and clarity. I'm not going to promise you some magical course or coach or codex, but I cannot help you unless you raise your hand and say, I am over here. Subscribe to my email list at understory.news. Raise your hand and say, let's get out of here together. The podcast has the philosophy, but the daily emails have the insights. Raise your hand and say, I'm over here. Let's light the lantern. Subscribe at understory.news. The path of understanding never ends, but that does not mean you cannot get to where you want to go. Subscribe to my email list at understory.news. Go light the lantern.